You're listening to Flipping the Barrel Podcast, a women's perspective in oil and gas. We are your hosts, Macy and Jamie. And our mission here is simple, to bring you the untold stories of this industry. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another podcast. Thank you again for tuning in to another wonderful episode. We are super excited today to have Andrea Martin on the podcast today. She is a chemical engineer turned entrepreneur in the last year. And we are just so excited to have her because she is our age. She also was in oil and gas, was also a field engineer, you know, so there's a lot of relatable stories across all of us. And we're just super intrigued by her story because she left the industry to start her own, you know, business. And she also has a podcast called Career Confessions, which we really suggest you go listen to because she's got so much great career advice and we're super excited to dig into it. So Andrea, welcome to Flipping the Barrel. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Andrea, you know, it's really amazing to have you on because I actually know a few people who have used your coaching services and got promotions and are now moving up in their career. And that is exactly why we wanted you on this podcast to share, you know, a lot of those insights and for everybody listening, her process really works. I do definitely know people who are excelling. So thank you so much. Today's episode is brought to you by Veril Energy Solutions. Did you know that Barrel has been around since 1947? They're originally known for their drill bits, but through several acquisitions, investments, and rebranding, they now offer a diversified portfolio in drilling and completions. One of their core competencies is actually global manufacturing of consumable downhole products. They solve the industry supply chain problems. We've chosen to partner with Barrel because they simply get it. They focus on their employees, they're committed to diversity and inclusion, and they know their only true sustainable advantage is their people. To learn more and stay up to date, please go to www.veril.com. Veril Energy Solutions, beyond technology, beyond normal. Let's get into kind of who you are, where you're from. And we know originally you came from Peru and you grew up there until you were about in your mid-teens. Then your parents decided to immigrate to Texas for a better future for you and the family. Can you share with us how you felt going from two totally different cultures and how hard that might have been for you as a teen? Absolutely. You know, growing up in a very different culture and To be honest, I saw my parents work really, really hard to provide what the life that they had provided for me in Peru. Just for a little bit of context, public schools are definitely something that you kind of shy away from, especially in South America. You want to be mindful of where your kids are going to school. But private school is definitely an investment that a lot of parents make it their sole focus. And they're essentially making a living to create a living for their kids I grew up with the privilege of being part of a British private school as I was growing up in Peru. And I always knew that was a huge sacrifice for my parents to be able to provide that for me. It definitely helped me because English was something that was taught in the school. And while right now my English is much more comfortable when I'm speaking as a teenager, it was definitely a big shock factor of you do it in a classroom and then you're doing it as every day, every second, trying to communicate with others. The transition proved to have a couple of roadblocks for me. One was in general, the school system is actually one year less in Peru. So it's 11 years until you finish 
high school and then it's five years of college usually. So math-wise, science-wise, I was actually further ahead in the curriculum. But when I made the transition to the United States because of English being my second language, I had to kind of really prove that I could be part of the higher math classes. Like AP classes were not even something that had been offered to me. It was assumed that I couldn't handle that. And so there was a lot of advocacy that happened for me in the first couple of years in coming to the United States that at that time I felt it was unfair, but little did I know that type of advocating for yourself that I had to do early on carried on for the rest of my career that I've been able to always, I always say, listen, if I was able to advocate for myself as a teenager that I didn't know much and I was still getting to know myself, I can advocate for myself no matter the situation. So I'm not going to lie. It was definitely a difficult transition as a teenager, but college proved to be a much different experience for me than high school was. Mm. Totally relate to that. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of, you know, immigrants who are listening to this podcast who, you know, they're second generation. A lot of parents did leave, you know, 20, 30 years ago to the U.S., to Canada, to Europe, from South America in order to provide a better family life. We know that, like you mentioned, schooling and education is super important to a lot of immigrant parents because their hope is that you're going to have a better future than them and that their sacrifice was worth it. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of the pressure maybe to have to perform, to go to university? Were they pushing you towards a specific degree? Like, you know, you got to be a lawyer, a doctor or an engineer. And is that why you decided to become a chemical engineer? I always jokingly tell my mom, I'm not sure how... I always knew I was going to go to college, but whatever you told me when I was growing up, can you just write a script so I can be telling my kids the same thing subconsciously? Because I never, it was going to college was never, should I, could I, it was like, you go to college, like you go and take that step. So so I think part of that was my parents have always been big in saying their journey in life is to raise their ceiling. So that becomes my floor. So that means that all the work that they're doing is set up the place and foundation for me to be able to chase bigger things. My dad's always been big on saying, like, I want you to be better than me, bigger than me, anything than me. Like, you know, you have the runway to do that. And I want to create that runway for you, similar with my mom. And that was something that I think whether it was ingrained, it was almost like it's just the expectation of they've done all this for me. Where am I going to take it now? It's almost like they created a car. They gave me the keys. What are you going to do with it? Where are you going to take it? And I actually had picked engineering early on as like a teenager because I grew up watching, and I jokingly say this, but I grew up watching Magic School Bus and I thought that was the coolest thing. And there's an episode where they go to like Pluto and I was like, I want to be the first woman to go to Pluto. Shortly after that, it was no longer a planet. I was like, okay, let me figure out my next step. But I picked chemical engineering because I liked the curriculum. I liked that it was a challenge. I was told that not a lot of people finished chemical engineering. And I'm sure like, you know, but people resonate to this in in the podcast where you're told like, usually people fail. You're like, well, not me. So let's do this. And that's why I picked that major. You know, it really shows how much of an influence, you know, parents have with their children. I mean, it is crucial to the development in the beginning of your life and throughout your life to have your parents, you know, providing that confidence that you need in order to excel. You know, you ended up in oil and gas and working as a wireline field engineer of all things and ended up then getting promoted to service manager for a district. Can you talk to us a little bit about 
how you actually got into oil and gas and why wireline was, you know, your first step, because that is a very difficult transition from, you know, schooling to then going to the field and, and running tools. So what inspired you to do that? Yes. You know, majority of my chemi friends were going a much different direction with their degree. You know, I think at that time, and this is, so I graduated in 2009, during the 2008, 2009, a lot of chemies were essentially kind of looking at refineries. They were like processing plants. That was kind of what you did with a chemi degree. And I was seeking adventure and I was seeking something challenging. I found that I was walking around a job fair and I'm not sure even how it happened, but I started talking to a recruiter at Summer Day and we were able to talk for like 20, 30 minutes. And we were just really talking about the, you know, what, what it was about, what they were looking for. And there's like a line of people behind me, you know, like the booths get busy, especially when you're talking to job fair. And here I am not a petroleum engineering, taking up a space of, you know, this lumberjay booth. But I was just like, man, this is really interesting. This is really exciting. And he said, I mean, you'd get to work with explosives, radioactive sources. And I said, okay, well, this is, I'm very intrigued. I'm in. And I always jokingly say like, it was that phrase, radioactive sources and explosives that made me go, I have to figure out if I can make this, I can do this. So I applied and like any good, I went to Texas Tech. So I like any good Texas Tech and engineer after the job fair, everyone goes across the street to Chimmy's to go have a couple of drinks and unwind from the job fair. And I got a call during that time that I was being picked for an interview and I was able to, you know, to interview with them fully. And I picked international contract on purpose on the second round of interviews when you go physically present and they do it. And I remember my mom was a little bit shocked when she goes, well, where'd you put you when I work? And I go, well, international. So for sure, not in the US. And she was not very happy with me. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. So you got promoted after being a field engineer to field service manager, which is a big step, you know, in service companies. But then you decided to leave afterwards and actually go back to school and then search for a job as, you know, to go work for an operator. Can you tell us that transition and why you decided to leave when, you know, you could have had a long career there as well too? Yeah. And it's such a great question because we find ourselves becoming a new version of ourselves as we grow into different roles. And one kind of the fundamental principles of how I've managed my career and into my journey as an entrepreneur has been, who am I becoming and where do I want to go next? I think a lot of times we can get very wrapped up with the title that we have in that moment and it becomes our identity and breaking from that title can be very hard. When I made the transition of it was time for me to do something different, one of the things that I had noticed was I enjoyed the conversations that were happening on the other side of the table from the operator side. I enjoyed the kind of big play strategy that I was hearing, and I was really intrigued by that. And I go, you know, I've learned so much. I would love the opportunity to be part of the strategy that led me to be at the well site today and bringing those pieces here. And I decided that my next step was being on the other side of the table. And I wanted to give that a shot and I wanted to, to see what I could do from there. That also meant coming back to the United States, which was also closer to my family. And that was a big, important piece that involved. I mean, I had been out of the country for, you know, four to five years at that time, and I was ready to also come back home. Mm. 
What's interesting about this transition is when you went to go work for the operator, before that, you went to University of Oklahoma to start your master's when you were in the middle of looking for work. And what a lot of people end up running into is you get your master's, you have these four to five years of field experience, and then you try to apply for your first role. And then they say they deem you like overqualified. And then that sets you back because you're wondering, well, where can I go if I'm overqualified for all these positions? Can you give some advice on how to overcome that? Because you eventually, you know, started your career with Chesapeake. So you were able to fit for purpose on what you needed. Yes. And it was such a reality check for me. I would be lying if I didn't say I was actually shocked at the first time I heard that of you're looking for someone that is entry level. I am way more than an entry level and I'm willing to step into the shoes. And that's not like, that's not what you want. I was really, really thrown off. And part of that in learning now too, and having been a hiring manager later on, a lot of the times is they want be able to mold, you know, the engineer that they're coming in from the company from day one. So bringing in an, another culture from another company, sometimes they prefer the blank slate than anything else. What ended up happening was I said, okay, well, I'm going to find the next role that I could potentially qualify for, and I'm going to apply for those. And then I got, you don't have enough operator experience to be a level two. I'm like, well, is there a level 1.5? Because maybe I will fit that one. And I started doing what I teach my clients to do now, which is intentional networking and trying to understand where can my skill sets best fit. And I also got, you know, I said, I'm going to walk in with this and my ego is not going to be part of this conversation as much as what I feel like I deserve or I should deserve. That doesn't change what's happening now. And I started as an intern for Chaparral Energy. They said, listen, we like you. I think you'd be someone we want to get to know more but you have to start as an intern. And so here I am interning with juniors in college that summer. And one, I said, I mean, I walked in and I go, I'm going to be the best intern this company has ever had, ever seen, and ever will see because I want a job at the end of this. And if you think about it, it's just two months, but it can be so much more of a mental block for you to pass through and say, you're going to be an intern again. But really it's just two months. Two months went by and I got a full-time position with them as an engineer too. And now a little word from our sponsor, Technique FMC. Marcel, you know what I really appreciate about Technique FMC being one of our sponsors is their mission is directed towards a more inclusive and diverse workforce. One of the reasons why we started this podcast, as many of you know, was to move the industry forward and they backed that belief. Their focus is creating a culture of inclusion that will attract, develop, and retain a more diverse, talented group and ensure their employees can always bring their authentic selves to work. This is important, you know, especially to our generation. Totally agree with you, Jamie. But beyond the DNI, they're also big into technology. They believe in change and innovation in everything they do. Their offerings range from individual products and services to fully integrated solutions with a single interface to ensure a seamless execution. They have four main priorities, energy transition, emerging materials, digital, and industrialization. To find out more about their most popular technologies like SubC 2.0, iProduction, Gemini ROV system, and iComplete, go to TechniqueFMC.com. What I think is very important that you said is that you put your ego aside because ultimately the only reason that you're getting held back from moving on to that higher position is that you, not you particularly, but most people are like, no, I'm too good for that. 
I'm not yeah. going to go to intern, not get paid what I'm getting paid now. I'm not willing to do that. But if they would see past what can happen if they were just to intern or were just to take that role that maybe is just a little less pay, but that next jump is huge. I really think that really tells a lot in your story because ultimately what Mossdale is going to ask you next really gets into, you know, the success that you had. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. That's incredible. And it's so hard sometimes to put yourself in other people's shoes, but like what you did could be a big hit to the ego, to a lot of people, you know, multiple years of experience, you went back to school and then here you are an intern with college graduates. Like you said, that must be so hard, but you said you were going to be the best intern there. And it's all about mindset. Like Jamie said, it's just like, you put yourself and you're like, I'm going to get a full-time job after this. Like you knew that going in and look at you after that, you went to Chesapeake, you had almost a six plus year career there. And you decided to leave the industry altogether not too long ago. I don't want to date it because I'm not too sure. But can you tell us a little bit about while you were going through those years at Chesapeake, what was your ultimate goal? And like, did you see yourself staying in the industry for you know another 10, 15 years? And then tell us a little bit about you starting your side business while you were working and then kind of taking the leap of, I'm going to end this here because I see so much more potential as an entrepreneur. Yes, the journey within Chesapeake was absolutely incredible. And it was actually a very difficult decision. And I don't think I've probably verbalized it as much. And maybe because now it's been long enough that I can probably even say that there was a grieving period associated with stepping out of that role fully. I started consulting and doing coaching when I had my daughter in maternity leave. And I had get very creative during my maternity leaves. I will say I have a lot of maybe because I actually have time to maybe like maybe think about other things. I don't know. But I was very creative during that time. And I realized one of the things that I really enjoy and I really love and have a huge passion for is coaching. And at that time, if you had asked me, is this something you'd want to do full time? I would have said no. I would have said no, because right now what I want is to grow and become a leader of the organization. Through this time, as I was learning how to become a better coach, as I was actually coaching you know, women from all over the world, one of the things that I realized was that being a team leader and helping people elevate themselves to the next level, creating high-performing teams was something I was extremely passionate about. Chesapeake during this time is evolving, is changing. And if I bring you back to 2020 or even 2019 going into 2020, we knew the company was headed to a place where most likely we were going to go through bankruptcy. It wasn't for sure. It hadn't been said, but it was something that was coming. As the breadwinner of my family and someone that's always been the one that kept kind of the wheels going, I knew that in order for me to show up as a leader that I know I want to be and be able to serve the company the way that I know how to best serve it, which is with integrity and complete honesty, which means that fear cannot be part of the equation. I wanted my business to provide the bare minimums of my family. So my mortgage, my bills, everything associated with that. That's when I looked at the business as an opportunity to, this could provide for my family and allow me to show up as my best self within Chesapeake. I was a leader through bankruptcy. I was leading one of their major gas plays and where actually a lot of our free cash flow was coming from, if not all of our free cash flow during these years. And I was able to show up for my team fully. 
one of the things that I had told myself was I had extreme loyalty to our CEO and extreme loyalty to my boss at the time. And I still talk to him to this day. Like I follow leadership and that's really what it comes down to. And I knew that I was going to be there to support the mission as long as they were there to support the mission. So I never even questioned I was going to leave the industry until we come out of bankruptcy. All of a sudden, my team is in a much better place. The company's in a much better place. You know, our CEO leaves. And I had actually told our CEO a year prior was like, I told him specifically, I said, I'm not leaving as long as you're here. And he goes, I appreciate that. And I told my boss the same thing. Well, a couple of months later, my boss retires. And all of a sudden, those pieces of loyalty that had been very much the strong ties are not necessarily there anymore. My team is in a much better place. I don't have to advocate for them as much. Like the company's in a much better, healthy place. I'm not leaving a sinking ship, which I don't think I would have ever been able to do that as a leader. And I realized at that time, my business is actually bringing in more revenue than my corporate job is at this point. And I had to make a decision of, okay, what do you want? I mean, what do you want? You've built this with blinders on. Now you're here. What do you want? Not what do you think you wanted? Not what do you think people want for you? Because I think a lot of times what people want for you is a big part. What do you want for yourself? And I go, you know what? I have this itch for being an entrepreneur. If I can do this in a corporate setting, I was like, I wonder what I can do if I'm the one that controls all the decisions. I want to go all in. Like, I have to see what happens out of this. Like, it was not what if, no, it's like, what if I don't? And that's when I decided July of 2021, I told my new boss at the time that, hey, this is coming. I have flexibility. So you tell me when you want me to put my two weeks notice. And he was very appreciative of that. Wow. That is just such an amazing story. And also what's really inspiring is when you talked about like, what do you want for yourself? Because a lot of times we allow the company that we're working for tell us what our next step is and we don't reflect on, is that really what we want? Or is that just the process of what usually, you know, what's what success looks like, which now success, I think, looks different to everybody. And, you know, in this day and age, being an entrepreneur is definitely glorified. I would say years ago, if you're an entrepreneur, people are like, you're just somebody who doesn't have job. Now it's like, oh, I want to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, like you make so much money and like. But people don't realize what it takes to get there, you know, what steps you have to take. And a lot of times you're making no money in the beginning. And what's really interesting about you is that before your business really even took off, you actually hired a team of people. I mean, you took the risk of upfront capital before you're even really making a profit. What did you learn from doing this and taking this risk early on? You know, I downplayed my business for so long because I never wanted it to become a risk factor in my career. And I never wanted my integrity to be questioned. Part of that was hiring a team to make sure that I could show, hey, this is who handles this outside of hours. Like I am physically not touching all these things. But an interesting story is that when I transitioned fully, it shocked a lot of people because I had downplayed it for so long. Like it's this little thing I do that how can she live of this little thing that she does? But it had been so intentional with the way I had been building it that it did take me you know, a couple of hours a week to keep the kind of machine going. And I was very intentional with that. When I decided to hire a team, I'm very pragmatic. And I go, listen, I know if you invest in a team, you're going to make sure your business is making at least whatever this team costs you to pay. And mm-hmm. guess what? If something were to happen and you need to say pause or anything, your revenue is still coming in and you've created a, something that pays for itself and it provides what you need. And I'm not sure if it's been this undeniable confidence that I will figure it out 
and not necessarily the first try or maybe even the second or third. But the only way that I'm going to fail is if I don't keep going. And it was a way to almost hold myself accountable to say, figure it out. You can do this. If anybody can do this and you believe in this, make it happen. And in fact, having those people accountable to me and those team members are still with me to this day. So they've been part of my company for a very long time. They're like, I'm not leaving you. And so there's a lot of loyalty there. So now you have other people that believe in you. That it's almost like my foundation and the roots of the tree that I was kind of planting just became much, much bigger. And I just decided this is going to be how I want to do it. That's incredible. I'm always in shock when I hear your story, mainly because like you said, you are the breadwinner. You have two kids. You're leaving your corporate job to this thing that you're like, it could be successful and you know it will, but you never know. Entrepreneurship is a huge risk. It could have not worked out, you know? So kudos to you. That's amazing. So let's get into the topic of career and executive coaching. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is like. To be honest, I'm not into this space. I know that I always thought executive or career coaching was for like people who are going to be VPs or like super high up in the company, but you can coach women within like, you know, it could be their first job. So that's really interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? And then the difference between having a mentor and a career coach. When I started looking at who I wanted to serve with coaching and real coaching. And I'll kind of share the difference between mentor and coaching because there is a distinction that I don't think is very well known is that when I looked at what executive coaches were doing, they were focusing on helping women that had gotten to a certain level, take it to the following level. And then if you look at, when you think about a career coach, you think of, you're trying to find a new job. You're trying to make a transition into another career And I go, where is this gap of what about the person that is not looking to change their job, but they're stuck in that kind of higher senior, senior Mm -hmm. engineer level, and they're trying to break into that management route, or they've been stuck at senior manager for a while, and they can't seem to break into that director level. That person, especially that professional is not thinking, I need an executive coach. They're probably thinking, because they don't view themselves as an executive So one of the things that I wanted to focus on is bridging that gap of if you start treating your career and if you start injecting the same strategy that VPs are to grow their career, and if you do that earlier on, then you are going to go much further. So we get clear on your executive presence. What kind of leader do you want to be? What are your blind spots? Essentially, all the things that leaders do later on in your career, but just injecting them much earlier on so you can go further faster. Essentially, it's let's remove your blind spots. And I call it career acceleration because it's about fine-tuning your plan and making sure that the strategy is there and that you get critical questions to ensure that you're doing things for, that you feel confident in your reason, that you're not stuck in analysis paralysis. And then sometimes when life gets hard and you've been grinding for so long and you've been really putting your head down and getting things done, you forget what you're made of. And it's about kind of taking that step back and saying, I'm setting the time intentionally every month to work on me so I can see those opportunities better. Yeah, I definitely think a lot of times we get stuck in the weeds and we even forget, like if we go to update our resume or update our LinkedIn, we're like, okay, what projects have we done? And then you like totally forget everything that you've done the last five years or 10 years. And you're like, 
I don't even know. Like I haven't done any projects. And then you talk to somebody like a career coach and they're like, oh no, like, look at what you did. You excelled this. And it definitely helps get that rolling and like, get you thinking back to like, okay, yeah, I have done a lot of things. I need to make sure that these things are heard and people know, you know, what I'm capable of. But, you know, you've been coaching for about four years now, and you've talked to a lot of women and men. What are the common themes that you see holding people back from being successful? One, it can be that we have so much on our plate that thinking about fine-tuning our plan feels like such a daunting task that we put it at the bottom of the list. You know, hey, the wheels are turning. Why would I stop the car to go get an oil change. Like I'll get an oil change until the mile tells me I need to get an oil change or until the engine light comes on. Because sometimes we are in survival mode. And here it's about, I'm going to bring another perspective earlier on. What a lot of the things that my clients say, especially after our first session is I feel weightless. I feel like I have unloaded a lot of the things that I want because what happens when we start getting a little bit stuck is we stop pretending that the things that really matter to us matter. And we start saying, well, that goal was a goal, but you know, it's really not a big of a deal anymore. But deep down, it's hurting us. Deep down, it's causing us pain. It's showing up in other areas of our lives. And I actually recently shared this in one of my podcast episodes, but I personally show up better when I know I'm fulfilling the goals that I have for myself. I have more patience with my kids. I have more patience with myself, with my husband, more energy and it's about kind of fine tuning that piece. But one is reducing the overwhelm, kind of brain dumping everything that you want to accomplish that might feel like it's not possible. And then two, where are you stopping yourself? Where finding what are the limiting beliefs that whether we want to acknowledge them or not are there. But I work with such high, like ambitious and high performing professionals that they're overthinking it to the point of no action. So there's a lot of analysis and there's a lot of plan A, plan B, and almost like all of those equations coming through their mind and it leads to no action. And that's when we start, hey, let's get into action because we will figure it out. Stop running all these scenarios that haven't happened yet. Mm, I love Thank that. Thank you for sharing. You know? Yeah. I think like you mentioned, it's just when you have to sit down and talk to somebody about your career, you know it really puts into perspective, like all the things that you were hiding all this time, like, oh, I'm comfortable with this job. It's been here three years. I'm happy. But when you get to talk, you're like, no, I actually wanted to be a manager or I wanted to move to this other role, but I just kind of like, you avoid it. You don't look at yourself in the mirror, basically. And then that's kind of what you do. You just kind of get it out of that person. I remember we spoke for probably 15 minutes and like, I finished that call and I was like, oh my gosh, you made me think of all this stuff that I didn't want to think about. I think that's what's really important about it. And to your point, the people who are reaching out to a career or an executive coach, like you're a go-getter to begin with. You have what it takes. You just need kind of that fine tuning because you're reaching out to people to help you in your career. So you're already a step above everybody else. To end this podcast, I think is a really important question that we all have at some point in our career. And it's, When is it time to move on from a company, from the industry that you're in? Just when is it time to call it quits in, you know, quotation marks and take that new journey versus working on the journey you're in and just kind of getting better at it and moving up in one specific organization? I would encourage to look at a couple of things is what do you expect to gain in this journey that you're in right now? And what is the runway? Because if you're running full speed in the wrong runway and you're going to fall flat, you know, at the end of that kind of warning sign, I watch whether you 
kind of have a holistic view and you figure out when is that runway ending? And is that the runway that you want to, do you want to be a part of? Are you genuinely excited to continue to put your blinders on and where you are now? And what could you be gaining if you look outside of that? And what are the reasons that are preventing you to look outside of that? A lot of times when we challenge the reasons where we're not looking outside of our current lane is when we can find what are the real fears that are holding us back. Because at the end of the day, as humans, we would love our journey to be up and up and up and up. And the reality is that there are ups and downs. And the first down doesn't mean you're going to leave a job. And as I challenge my clients a lot on, we're not going to run away from the problem. If anything, you're going to run through it and you're going to learn something through this. And then if you still want to make a change after this, you do it. But if you can tell yourself why you're doing something, why you're staying, and it has nothing to do with external forces, but it has to do with what you feel and what is best for you, I would start there. Why five levels deep? The same that we do a root cause analysis where there's an incident on a site. Well, do a root cause analysis of why am I staying here? You start with that reason. Okay, why do I feel this way? Break it down again. Why do I feel this way? Break it down again. And if you like what you're seeing and you go, these are good reasons for me to stick to this, then you know you have the science in front of you. But we as professionals, and especially, I always jokingly say, women say they're not great negotiators. I think that's not true. I think we're great negotiators with ourselves because we can negotiate ourselves out of situations all the time and give ourselves the reasons of why we shouldn't do something. Just write it down. And if you like what you see on paper, then you know that you have a good plan. But if you write it down and you go, okay, I think I can call myself out on this. I think it's time to maybe bring another perspective in. I just think that's so powerful and a great way to end this podcast. And, you know, a lot that you highlighted there is not to work off of emotion because a lot of times you get emotional about it and then you're like, I'm out. I need to leave. I don't like this anymore. And you don't really break it down on, you know, the reasons why you want to leave to really make sure that they're qualifiable, right? For that kind of move. So thank you so much for coming on and spending time with us. I think this is going to be an amazing episode for a lot of our listeners, especially in the career path that they're on today. And if you like this podcast, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, and don't forget to check out Andrea's podcast. Tell us again, what's the name of your podcast? Career Confessions. Go find her. Thank you. And what's your Instagram or where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Yes, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So linkedin.com slash Andrea Martin MBA, or you can find me on Instagram at ms.andrea.martin. Awesome. Thank you, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you.